This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. It is Monday, and so we are covering our AI Success Factors series. Every Monday, we cover a single AI use case that is deployed in the real world with an ROI, and we talk to the folks who are close to that project and ask them, what made this project work? These are intended to be transferable lessons. No matter what industry you're in, this is an espresso shot every Monday to be able to dive into AI ROI and draw out some tangible lessons that you can apply in your own enterprise. Today, we are focusing on the world of heavy industry, but we are certainly drawing a lot of lessons that apply everywhere. Our guest this week is Chris Joint. He is the AIoT co-innovation leader for PTC. PTC is a software firm based here in the Boston area. And the project that we speak about is between PTC and Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman has some 90,000 employees around the world, over $30 billion in annual revenue, and they are one of the better-known aerospace and defense firms in the United States of America. There's a few great focus areas in this episode. One of them is being able to measure ROI across a number of different dimensions. We talk not only in this episode about the consistency of output, but also about reducing downtime. How do we handle two different kinds of ROI in one project? We get into that with Chris in this episode. And also, we talk a lot about the importance of feature engineering. This doesn't have to be technical, doesn't have to be fancy-dancy. This is really something that can be explained in a conceptual way. Chris does a good job of doing exactly that. And we talk about how we use subject matter experts to feature engineer and coax out the elements of the data that'll help us support decisions. That really was the linchpin that made this project work. So if you want to get non-technical folks to provide their input to make sure that whatever we build actually gets deployed and is useful, this is an episode that should be helpful. Without further ado, let's fly right in. This is Chris Joint with PTC here in the AI and Business Podcast. So, Chris, welcome to the program on our AI Success Factors series. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, glad to have you with us. Today, I know we're talking about a rather large client of yours. Let's talk a little bit about the backdrop of the client and their situation and, and why they brought you guys in. Not everything has AI as the tool for the job, but paint the picture. What was going on? Sure, sure. So today we're going to be talking about Northrop Grumman, who has been you know, a customer of PTCs in, in various capacities for, for quite a long time. I mean, they're a very large customer, have lots of facilities and operations, and they use uh, PTC solutions in, in various areas of their business. In this use case in particular, we were working with their industry 4.0 team. And the reason that they brought us in was, you know, like, hey, we, we have this state-of-the-art facility. We have all these, you know, robots and highly automated systems. You know, we know, like, in, in general terms, what Industry 4.0 means and what kind of digital transformation goals we have, right? But we're sort of hitting the wall as far as actually making something happen, right? You know, we have legacy equipment. We have, you know, OT systems, IT systems sensor systems, all of those have their own kind of logic embedded in them, right? And you have this mix of commercial off-the-shelf systems that have been implemented, and then you have you know, kind of some homegrown stuff in there yeah. too. And then you have like, not, not only that, but the layer on top of that of how these things are actually used, right? And then you have 
the network layer with all of the security, you know, lockdown re- requirements that somebody like Northrop Grumman yes, you would yes, expect. Yes. Oh, yeah. And it's like, all right, so how do we really do something now and, and bring this together and, and actually get value out of this industry 4.0 stuff that's not just a fancy little prototype? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, industry 4.0, it's by itself a buzzword. So I'm, yeah. I'm interested in the the sort of particular business value they're interested in. I think almost everybody who's tuned in, who's in the heavy industry space, would be able to relate, and maybe even people in almost any sector, to the Frankenstein circumstance that almost all big enterprises are dealing with, right? You know, like you said, you got your off the shelf stuff, you've got your homegrown, you know, things, and then you've got this kludge of how it works, how we interact with it, how we make it secure, and now the question is, how do we wake up the the value of data here? Did they have, or what, what I guess was the industry 4.0 use case that they had in mind? The buzzword is one thing, but the value they were looking for is another. What, what did they want to do? Right, right. So, so yeah, so there's this, you know, industry 4.0 is this big, big pie in the sky vision, right? And then it's like, how do we, how do we actually get there? And I think that was one of the first keys to their success was, you know, starting small, right? And saying, let's assess where we are. Let's leverage existing infrastructure, right? Instead of going out and building some some big new thing that's going to be the future of all of our operations and is going to do all this wonderful AI stuff, let's start with what we have and the legacy systems that we have and how do we wrap something around that. So they really did a good job of, you know, starting small, scoping things well before then, you know, being able to deliver on that, right? And then build momentum and get sponsorship and, and all of that. And and the key to that was the one thing is like start where we are, but then the other part of that is like a laser focus on what is the point of impact, right? In this particular use case, they were, you know, trying to get some of that real-time data to actually translate to real-time useful insight on the shop floor right where you know you need to take into account what is the decision time frame for specific decisions yeah. that we're trying to make and then what are all the alternatives right if i'm making a decision that's saying speed up the line slow down the line whatever like let's inventory all of those different alternatives and and what are the trade offs and and you know so they really kind of focused it on the knowledge and the information that people making those decisions would need and it was like a very discreet place to start got it yeah so and being able to define and start narrow is important. Is this a manufacturing use case per chance? Are we able to kind of give at least some yes. content that we're making yeah, something, yeah. right? We don't need to define the thing, but we're making something. Yeah, sure. Here. Sure. I probably, I probably should have specified that. Yeah. So this is, this is a manufacturing use case and, and the, they actually narrowed it down to a specific piece of machinery in their production facilities. And we can talk about that machine more so that we can talk about what it is producing. Sure. Sure. Um, but, where they decided to focus is there there was high visibility around you know what we'll call kind of the problem child um, machine. all right so this problem uh, so they, machine got it so, so they had these viper automated fiber placement machines and you know downtime on these machines is not only unacceptable it's unacceptable in their you know state of the art facility that they've invested a lot of money in and from line to line, production cycle to production cycle, it's also highly variable and not exactly well understood, right? So it's like, this is a thorn in our side. So, so I guess, you know, yeah. in, in a way, that's a blessing, right? Because they knew where they, where they wanted to focus. It wasn't like, it, yeah. So that was what, 
where they decided to start. I'll stop there. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. That's a great place. So, okay, so so we've got. And did you say fiber? Name them the fiber. So it's a Viper automated fiber placement machine. Got right? it. Yeah, yeah. I have one of those in my garage. Sure, uh, <laughs> I've never never heard of that exact piece of equipment. But okay, I think you know the folks at home can imagine some complex piece of manufacturing equipment. So we've got downtime that absolutely we cannot deal with, and we've also got variability in terms of how much we can produce on any given day that we don't really get. Why are we getting so much out of this machine one day and not the other? Can we figure out through data how to make this more reliable and how to stop these damn breakdowns? Am I getting to the business value here that they were looking for? Yeah, yeah, you are. You are. And they were specifically focusing on, there's two aspects of that, right? There's one that is, okay, we have a problem. We have a time here to try to get to the bottom of it and figure out what's causing this and see if there's a systematic answer to it. And then there's in real time, while we're trying to manufacture something and this fiber placement machine is supposed to be rolling the, the fiber coating on top of the product here, in real time, you know, how do, we, how do we actually leverage data now to do something about it if and when the problem is happening, right? So, so there's there's sort of two two aspects of it. One is like a continuous improvement, and the one is shop floor operations. And they chose to focus on shop floor operations. Got it. Okay, cool. So a little bit more context on the business value they were after. Again, very few people just pursue industry 4.0 as a concept. If they do, it's normally a pretty rough approach to chase the buzzword for its own sake. Now that the ROI makes sense, talk a little bit, and we'll have to be brief here because we're going to get into our last question in this kind of short series. These are intentionally pretty brief episodes on what actions were taken and then what are the results you're you're able to chat about in terms of what happened from the engagement. So quickly kind of what you folks did to address some of these issues and then what the measurable ROI was. Sure. So, you know, step one, you know, they choose the right project and they have the right goals. It's measurable, all that great, right? Step two, now now we got to get our hands dirty, right? So and and that involves, you know, taking the data and, and saying, these are the machines. Uh, we have five machines here. We have 18 months worth of data, right? And we have however many production runs, right? And we're going to say, let's look at the data that we have about those production runs, right? Because we want to make predictions about production cycles, right? And see, is that is that prediction cycle going to fail? And this is where it gets like in the weeds, but this is where they were they were successful is you know, doing the data engineering piece, right? Or the feature engineering piece. All of this is, there's an aspect of it that is data science but more importantly, there's an aspect of it that is domain-driven, right? And these decisions are domain-driven. And that's where like having the team work together and make these decisions was, was really key. So as they get into, into the data, you know, they have log files for, from these machines, they have event data that's saying, you know, stop or start a cycle. There's a set point change that an operator has changed a set point. There's 11 different types of alerts that the machines put off, right? So let's take all of that and make it into useful data that is discrete variables that AI can use. And some of that, it seems common sense, but there's hard work in it. So what they're doing is saying, let's count the number of errors that happened during apply or you know an application of the fiber coding right and then during you know the the part build right let's measure the amount of time between errors let's measure the amount of time between plies how long are cycle times running the ply amount that was 
expected versus the actual, right? You know, all of these things you can create discrete features from. And then the process that is, you know, data science working with the domain experts and saying, let's look at the distributions here, right? And make some decisions around, are these outliers that you see here, are these freak accidents that should be excluded? Or are these things that we yeah. should say, no, this is w within the range of something that might happen or we can expect might happen again and we should include it, right? So those are kind of the domain-driven decisions in the, the feature engineering, but ultimately they decide because what they want to do is get that prediction about a production cycle that's about 20 minutes long. They want to get that on the shop floor in a way that somebody can do something. What they decided was, let's just take our top six failure types or error types and create one bucket, right? So we're just going to get a flag if one of the most common failures is likely to happen. And that would give us you know, about the the right blend of, you know, false positives versus, yeah, versus false yeah, negatives yeah, yeah. that we might have to deal with. And that's in a business context, right? That's an operations decision. It's not, it's, you know, everybody might say, oh, we want a model to be 99% accurate. And it's like, whoa, 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 <laughs> we, we, we need we need to talk about that, you know? <laughs> yeah, everybody would like that, sure. But yes, that's right, one right. of the things that as a vendor, you guys probably have to kind of, you know, set those expectations early on. So yeah, you make a reasonable probabilistic assessment that will be better than absolutely jackdiddly nothing, which is normally what we're competing with here. And if I'm hearing you correctly, we're looking at the patterns from sensors and activity in some meaningful way to then determine, hey, are we likely to come up with one of these six, you know, failure scenarios yep. based on the data that's streaming? And now does that mean we want to cut the machine? Does that mean we want to slow things down? Does that mean it allows us to then pull the levers yep. to make sure we can reduce those? Is that right? Yep, exactly, exactly. And then when you test that model, you test that model, you test that model, you test that model, right? And you say, Let, let's let's keep showing it little samples of data that it hasn't seen yet and, yes. and giving it different scenarios, or maybe we'll put it, we'll actually put it into production and let it just kind of run in like ghost mode, right? Not tell anybody and, and see how it how it scores against against real data till we get to a point where we're comfortable with the accuracy. Is it actually identifying th these issues? And when we get to that point, then it's like, let's deploy for that shop floor operator something that helps them make those decisions. So it's not just here's the probability of something happening. Here's the, you know, the output of the black box, if you will. Yeah. But there's there's discrete information that comes along with that that'll help an operator make a decision that is, for example, maybe the cutter piece is something you want to take a look at and see if that needs to be sharpened before the next production cycle. And they they built an application with it and, and gamified it a little bit so that operators were able to uh, compete against one another. But the results as far as downtime reduction were really remarkable. They actually, they ran it for a month and determined that with the model actually in production, giving shop floor insights to the operators, they were able to make almost a 16% reduction in downtime on a, a key piece of manufacturing equipment. So that's that's a uh, big results for them. Cool. Okay. So they've got this really unpredictable machine. They've got this thing that has more downtime than they would like. They're able to unlock the value of data and reduce that number by sixteen percent. Which you know, if you imagine how much business Northrop Grumman does, I don't know how much money they're putting through this one particular machine, but certainly there's financial consequences. So great. So we've got yep. some tangible numbers. Lots of factors came together to make this work. As you you and I both know, 
there's no guarantee that an AI project is going to show a tangible ROI and actually stay in deployment because it's really delivering value, right? That's not guaranteed. But whatever happened here happened well, and you guys are able to talk about the results. If you could attribute, you know, there's a lot of factors, sure. If you could attribute a factor that really allowed this project to make it all the way through, what would you append there? What would be the lesson that would be transferable for other enterprise leaders? So I would say that the actual, the real magic here was the feature engineering process, right? Taking the the actual work of rolling up your sleeves, taking the data that you have, right, about your things in your environment and, you know, mapping that to a machine learning problem and going through the feature engineering and going through the data science stuff with the domain experts that could that could help give their perspective on how they make decisions, could help make business decisions about what are the accuracy requirements, could help make uh, decisions about you know how to frame the analytical question, right? And that was really, I think, the the key here. What PTC did well, I mean, with with our technology, I think the the thing that that we did is kind of that model based approach. Right, allowing them to very quickly take those disparate data sources, make them data about a thing, be yeah. it a process or a piece of equipment or, or whatever. That was what helped them do this in three weeks. Right, that's what helped them do this quickly. But all the the hard work was that feature engineering part that they did as a team, and I think that was the secret. Got it. And that must have been a combination, obviously, of you guys and of them, right? Because I would imagine the shop floor folks might not know what feature engineering is, and and they might not know exactly how much data of what types and what kind of time series are going to work realistically for manufacturing, but they do know their equipment well. So it sounds like the collaboration together to say, hey, what are the forces and factors that you pay attention to? What are the you know, what are the elements that you believe are really most critical to maintaining uptime and being able to then define those data wise, I would imagine yep. that was a team sport. Yeah, it, it is. And and it comes down to communication, right? It, yeah. Communication skills and soft skills are really important there. It's not just, you know, once the thing is built doing the soft, fuzzy cultural change, you know, here's your new application. It's throughout the whole process you're being able to communicate to different stakeholders. They might speak different languages oh, about yeah. these things, you know? Very different languages. So another really key lesson for our listeners here around the importance of cross-functional teams, in this case, in terms of defining the features that'll let us make a darn decision. And obviously, in this case, a decision that led to an important ROI. Chris, I know that's all we have for time, but thank you so much for being able to join us on this episode. My pleasure. So that is all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode and a big thank you to Chris for being able to join us. I appreciate you here as a listener. Again, I hope you've liked this espresso shot every Monday of these short 15-minute episodes. I think the actual recording of this episode that you just listened to was 15 minutes on the dot. We try to do our best to make these Monday ones nice and short and tight with a lot of transferable lessons. If you've enjoyed these episodes and you're already following us in audio, be sure you're also on the newsletter and you'll receive all of our latest interviews, but also all of our latest infographics, articles, and insights from Emerge. So stay ahead of the AI curve. You can go to emerj.com slash n1. That's n as in newsletter. And then the number one, emerj.com slash n1. Sign up for the newsletter. It goes out every Tuesday and every Thursday. And you can 
and unsubscribe whenever you'd like, but uh, there's 20,000 folks that find it to be a very helpful resource in terms of being able to steer their AI projects and find new AI opportunities. emerj.com slash N1. That's all for this episode. Big thank you to Chris again, and thank you to you, our listener. I look forward to catching you tomorrow again. Every Tuesday, we're still covering AI use cases and trends. This AI success factor series is new, but the Tuesday episodes have always been here for the last seven plus years. So tune in for tomorrow, and I will catch you then.